On my first visit to the offices of the Union for Reform Judaism, the largest, most diverse Jewish movement in North America, representing 1.9 million individuals and almost 900 congregations, I passed this wall of framed headshots. There were dozens of them, all men. And then the last one was a headshot of the newly appointed board chair. There she was breaking the glass ceiling in an $85 million organization that's been around since 1873. I met her when she refer, uh, when referred to facilitate her first board offsite. I've had the gift of watching, facilitating, sometimes coaching her throughout her tenure. I've met many first-rate board chairs and had a few during my tenure, but my guest, she's the entire package. She's not like a lot of board chairs. Let's put it out there. She's thrown her time and energy behind the URJ. It has essentially been a full-time gig for her. Most board chairs I know would never have such luxury. But still, my guest has learned some universal truths that I would really like her to share with you. We're going to talk about goals, about shifting the board into a culture of philanthropy, about the unique nature of a board-CEO partnership when the CEO is a rabbi and a Yankee fan, about maybe about managing crises. We'll see if we have time and how to set your successor up for success. My challenge today is to distill a four-year tenure, the pluses and the deltas, into a 35-minute episode. There's a lot to learn and absorb. I promise I'll talk really fast. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, gets it. She is here to help. Daryl Messenger is the chair of the North American Board of Trustees of the Union for Reform Judaism. Prior to this role, she served on the URJ board for 15 years and in reform movement affiliated affiliated organizations in a wide variety of roles. A dynamic leader with a track record of sustained involvement and success, she served as chair of the Reform Pension Board, which serves reform movement professionals and has a total portfolio of more than $1.2 billion. Her congregation lay leadership experience is extensive. At the age of 36, she was the youngest president of her then 1,100-member congregation, Congregation Beth Am in Los Altos Hills, California. In addition, she served on the board or as the chair of various other Jewish and secular nonprofits. Are you impressed? There's more. Professionally, Daryl has had various roles in both communications and investment management organizations. She served as the EVP and strategic consultant for Weisscom, an integrated marketing and communications firm from 2004 until retiring in 2009. Early in her career, Daryl was an investment manager and partner of various funds managed by Glynn Capital Management, an investment advisory firm. She lives in Palo Alto with her husband, Jim Heger, and various grown children who occasionally boomerang back to their childhood bedrooms. Daryl Messinger, I am really glad we are getting to have this conversation for our listeners. Hi, Joan. How are you? I am good. I'm good. Um, so it's a funny time to catch you as you are sort of coming down the home stretch of a, um, of, of a of your tenure as board chair with two consecutive two-year terms. So it feels like a really good opportunity um, to catch you and kind of reflect on the adventure that you've had. Um, and, um, so shall we, so we, so shall we, uh, introduce the listeners to your, uh, four year, uh, Daryl's four year, most excellent adventure. 
it has been a glorious adventure and it's involved uh, so much uh, that it's, it's hard to believe it's almost over. Uh, it is. I mean, I, it's it's hard for me, given that I met you sort of as you as your picture was being hung on that wall. Um, so you you signed up for two consecutive two year terms, and I I know enough about you as someone who's pretty driven and uh, goal oriented that you must have had in your mind um, either for the two year piece or the four year piece. Um, a picture of what success would look like when you step down. So I wonder if you um, could share sort of what you sort of thought at that time and maybe a little bit about how it's, how it's compared to the reality of things. So Joan, I knew I had my work cut out for me. Uh, we had just finished a uh, fairly lengthy strategic visioning planning uh, process before I became uh, chair. And uh, it was now falling on uh, the executive team and me to implement that very big 2020 strategic vision. And the question was, how are we going to do it? And how were we going to pay for it? Um, And I knew we needed to make some real changes as to how the board saw their role in both the implementation and the uh, fundraising. Uh, the development uh, around this plan. The thing that listeners might be interested in hearing is something about the size of the board of the URJ. Um, Because I think once they hear the number, they're going to wonder why on earth you took the job. (laughs) Well, It's easy to throw out a number, and but as they say, you know, size doesn't matter, Um, and that's true here as well. We are an organization that's been around a very long time, and like most organizations that are membership organizations, they often have, uh, or, or historically have had these large, really associations or assemblies. Uh, because they want to be representative. So I currently have a board of a, of around 200 folks that actually could be larger than that, but I've chosen to fill seats with folks that really represent uh, the, the leadership and the diversity of our movement in North America. Uh, I also have what I believe is a governing board that's um, – an oversight committee, many folks would call it an executive board or an executive committee that's made up of uh, a total of 25 individuals, 19 elected, and a few that I get to appoint. Um, And that's really the board that um, has most of the day-to-day fiduciary uh, and execution responsibilities that are often thought of as board responsibilities. They're delegated to that board. With that said, yeah, um, I, I was I was just going to say that I, um, I when I give keynote speeches and people say I have them throw out the number of board members they have, and then I tell them that that your board has you know two hundred plus, and they all feel so much better actually. Um, but what you have really done is built a board. The, the oversight committee is essentially your governing body. Correct, correct. And let's not take anything away from the big board. They've had to step up and realize that their best 
function is to serve as ambassadors, as advocates, as champions uh, for the work at the local level. And they themselves need to make sure that they're um, looking at trends and uh, best principles uh, around the country, around North America, in other uh, Jewish and, um, for that matter, um, secular and other faith-based um, organizations to really provide strategic and generative uh, vision and thought uh, to the work we do. So you said earlier that um, you saw your mandate coming in as the board chair to um, ensure the, uh, you know, provide oversight to ensure that the 2020 vision was executed and to make, to ensure that it was appropriately resourced. Um, so what is that, what, what does that on the resource side of things um so, so let me let me just say that was your picture of what you knew had to happen, um, uh, and now I want you to fast forward to today. Do you do you feel a sense of real accomplishment about those things? And then we'll walk back and sort of talk a little bit about the journey and how you got there. Well, Joan, you know I do feel a real sense of accomplishment, and you've been very helpful in that. And it required both a different mindset uh, for everyone, not just the board, but the entire uh, management team at the URJ. It required um, a lot of us exercising a muscle that we weren't particularly comfortable doing, and that is um, playing the philanthropy sport. Um, I like to say that uh, Philanthropy is a no-cut team sport. Now, I don't know about you, Joan. I know you were an athlete when you were growing up. I sure wasn't. And I never got picked. <laughs> Sometimes not even last. Standing <laughs> there like, okay, who wants mess? Um, but what I found out is that if you're willing to make introductions, if you're willing to thank and identify um folks who might have capacity and if you're willing to reach into your own pocketbook as it were and um stretch a little bit you're 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 gonna head that team in no time flat um and that so, anyone can do it it doesn't require great wealth um but it does require passion and and time and i think that's something that we've worked hard with our board members, particularly with our oversight committee, but with all our board members, making them feel more comfortable and part of the team. So this is probably the, one of the top three questions that people ask me is how do I get my board to see themselves as fundraisers? How do I get them to raise money? Um, all of those things. And um, so all in that set of categories. So when you arrived, was the oversight committee, did they, did they see themselves as um, as a as a resource generator, is that how is that how they were recruited? Um, I want to know how, what you arrived to in terms of the state of that oversight committee relative to this kind of notion of culture of philanthropy. So 
many of my board members come up through a volunteer system, right? They've served on the boards of their congregations, usually in leadership roles like a president or a treasurer. Um, They've been active in many other aspects of reformed Jewish life. Maybe they went to one of our summer camps. Maybe they uh, participated in some of our social justice work. Their children might have participated in a youth group. They've come up through the movement and they've seen themselves as folks who are real advocates and champions, as I said. And so the real shift was having them see themselves as philanthropists, not just participants. And in order to see themselves as philanthropists, they had to get uh, a lot better explaining to others about why this organization mattered, why it mattered to them, why they think others might want to join them and invite them to participate. This is a set of skills that, Joan, you helped, particularly with the Oversight Committee. So they felt very much a part of the organization. They felt committed. They were giving, but they were giving as like a check-the-box kind of idea, right? So they signed a, a covenant of service when they joined the board, and it said, The URJ would be among your top three annual contributions each year. And wait, quick question: Was that was that true when you arrived, or is that something that very explicit? Meaning, you were supposed to. Everyone was supposed to commit. Everyone was supposed to give among their top three gifts, and there was a lot of non-specific language about what was expected in terms of a size of gift. There was a loose understanding that there was a minimum expectation. I'll come back to that in a moment, Joan, because a lot of folks think that that's the key. And as, as you well know, changing culture is much harder than changing strategy. And so first I really had to get folks comfortable with the idea that this organization deserved more of their philanthropic dollars as well as their comfort in telling others about why it mattered. We tend to tell folks all the things we do, and it's just a long laundry list. But when you can tell a a friend a story about why an invitation to go to a summer camp changed your life, or changed your um, child's life, or changed a friend's child's life because they are on the autism um, spectrum and could, in fact, participate fully in one of our summer camps. Boy, that is a really different story and a different kind of ask. And getting folks to realize that they had lots of these stories Um, lots of reasons why um, they felt that this was a compelling organization to not just spend their time, but also their money, started to really shift everyone's willingness to dig deeper in their purse and give a lot more money. Alongside that, I raised the expectations. 
I got folks understanding that we needed to demonstrate leadership from the top down. And I started with my officers and then my oversight committee. And from there, the larger board and said, each of us needs to show and demonstrate um, much larger annual gifts if we're going to be taken seriously by major uh, other funders. And that's what's happened. It's taken most of my term to to do that. And I would say we're still got a ways to go, but we have significantly uh, changed the number of folks on the board that are giving and giving in, I think, very significant amounts. And by that, I mean writing a check of $5,000 or more annually and everyone committing. So when I came on board, I had as many and between 15 and 20% of the board not giving anything. And that was not acceptable. And um, we now have less than 5%. Actually, we have on a board of almost 200. I only had eight people and every single one of them had a very good reason why they were not contributing last year. That's a huge, huge change. And it shows that folks understand that this is part and parcel of what it means to be among the very few North American Jewish, Reformed Jewish leaders. So, so there are probably, you know, people listening saying I'd give my eye teeth to have that kind of percentage. Um, And it's not that you know, what you're talking about is a cultural change that your the previous board president had other priorities that, right? So you, everybody comes in as a chair with a, into a particular landscape, right? And that calls for leadership and partnership with, you know, with the CEO on different things. And this was one of your priorities. Um, and, you know, the, the metrics are awfully good. Talk about, um, talk about the the um the the getting side of things. So is is the oversight committee um, actually bringing more people to the table as prospective donors to the URJ? Starting, starting. But the other thing we had to do is have everyone in the organization, all right, not just board members, see themselves as folks that could identify and cultivate donors. My senior management team thought it was really just the job of the president, the chair to some limited degree. And as you said, other chairs were more or less involved in this and um, the chief philanthropic officer and that, you know, they weren't really um, responsible for identifying and bringing in new funders into the organization and they weren't held to a fundraising goal. So one of the first things I did is for the first time ever in this organization, develop a development plan. Um, because, you know, I, I believe not, I, I believe that if you um, don't set goals, then wherever you get is excellent. Right. Right? It it was very scary for folks to um, set goals and be held to them because they knew that otherwise the organization couldn't continue to fund 
um, and support some of some of their programs or, or areas of responsibility. So I came in and we really needed to both change the mindset of the board, but also of, of the executive team. We needed to bring in uh, first-rate development professionals because, again, if you have no big goal, then you don't need a staff to raise the money or help raise the money and help help the board raise that money or the president raise that money. So we had to we had to really look hard at what kind of staffing we were able to support at that time and where we'd like it to go. We had to change the messaging of the organization so there was more uniformity and more focus on why rather than what or how. And um, as I mentioned, we needed to see this shift to a culture of philanthropy. Now, I'm no expert on culture of philanthropy, Joan, um, but I've read a lot about it. And what I have come to understand is that I've shifted the organization from this thinking of engagement leads to more engagement. You know, board members are always looking for more meaningful work. We can make a difference locally. And the fact of the matter is the way they make a difference, whether it's locally, nationally, or, you know, throughout North America, is for us to grow our resources. And resources need to be thought of in very broad terms, they may be our volunteers, right? And, and activists on the ground. It may be to grow our uh, management team. And it may be to grow our endowments and, and funding base. All of those are ways to be engaged in, in service to growing our, our resources. Um, that's different than volunteering on a camp committee board. Right. Um, what you actually did was sort of help people um, create a broader understanding of what meaningful means. Right. Meaningful engagement. What is meaningful engagement? Right. So it's almost like when you when you have a smaller organization that's moving from a working board to a governing board and as a working board, they're actually doing things and that feels really meaningful to them. And unless you actually shape the new vision in such a way that you've redefined meaningful, you're going to lose people because their definition of meaningful does not connect to what the organization board is now seeing as meaningful. So you had to actually take them on. You had to reframe. I mean, you're a marketing communications expert at heart, right? You had to sort of reframe what meaningful engagement looked like. I think you're making a really important point. And I, I sometimes have done that well. And there are other times where, you know, I have some really terrific um, folks who have done great work and it's really hard when it sounds like you are minimizing or somehow um, holding that work up as less than others. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunately a place that we continue to work on, you know, not to use that word too much, but continue to evolve and better understand what about a particular assignment or activity made it impactful for the board member? And is it something that 
I as board chair can still have them doing as opposed to having it be an activity that um, is supervised or spearheaded by part of our professional team. So that that frees yeah, people yeah. up, but it's it's a real uh, it, it, it's a point of tension, Joan. I don't you know to say that we've completely made that shift. It's not, but I keep trying to reinforce this idea: engagement leads to growth of resources, not to just more work and more engagement. Yeah, I think that's an important point. And I also understand that um, and have grown to understand with the URJ over the years that we've worked together that there are partnerships between each member of your oversight committee and a member of the professional staff. And um, and so there is this touch point that is a, a, a formalized, in fact. And so you've actually attempted to navigate that tension by creating that sort of form- formal partnership between a lay leader and a professional staff member and gotten them closer to the work so that they then can be greater ambassadors. And that's sort of, that's, that's it in the ideal um, is to have them have enough touch points with the work that they can then, um, you know, they can sing out Louise as the song from Gypsy goes. Um, Talk to me a little bit more about, so what is a what does a board meeting look like for you when you're you're saying, okay, I gotta change the culture of this joint and I need to build a culture of philanthropy? Um you know, so I can tell you that most board meetings, uh, when they we put development on the agenda, it's a presentation by the development director of where we are, budget, year to date. And it's sort of a, it's a presentation and then it's followed by some kind of, you know, well, we're a little bit behind in this particular area. What we could really use is blah, 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 blah from you guys. And, um, it's not interactive. It's not, um, I don't think it always gives board members the tools that they need to be really good at this notion of inviting people to know more and do more for the URJ. So did, <clears throat> how did you approach the discussions about development at board meetings? And and do you feel like you did a good job? And, and what did you do that worked? So we've really tried to utilize our oversight committee. And here I'm going to take your question to mean the, those board meetings, the the meetings mm-hmm. of the oversight committee and yes. to really help them um, have a toolbox as it were when they go and ask their fellow big board members for their contribution right because one of the things we had stopped doing was asking each other right we were just sort of sending out the f- pledge form and hoping people would send it back in. And we had various staff members scurrying around trying to collect those. But again, people give to people and people wanna be invited. They want to be asked. But folks are very uncomfortable um, initially with that idea. They feel somehow like it's an intrusion in people's privacy, that somehow they are going to be doing something that um, changes their relationship with the individual. And yet here they are, they're on the same uh, board. They all feel very passionately about the work we're doing. And it 
and matters to them. So the key to me was getting them to take that first step. And so we worked a lot on practicing having that conversation and having that uh, ability to focus on why, to tell your story as opposed to, or a story that you found so compelling. Um, so we tried it to do it initially. Uh, we, we experimented with taking turns um, and role playing. Yep. And that worked a little bit, but here's what really worked. I had everyone write an email to someone on the board that said why they were on this board and what about the work we were doing mattered to them and why they would like to have a conversation and hear about that individual's point of connection and their why. When they had to get over, when they sat and wrote, they started to really begin to have the other, the the who, what, where, when, drop away and get to the crux of the matter, to get to that nugget, because they knew they couldn't go on too long in an email that you're not going to read about every little program detail. Um, That's actually really smart. I, I might have to steal that from you, Daryl. I think I may have gotten it from you, Joan, so we'll trade. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> um, uh, but I will tell you that I attended a board meeting later on in your tenure and you did that role-playing thing and you said, um, how did that go? Can, can I just get some feedback from the group? And some, several people said, the more you do, like I felt, I feel so much more comfortable doing this. And you had given up, you had actually given a role play of like someone, a congregation, uh, someone who is, who is generous at a congregation, but the congregation was, you know, challenged by membership dues or so I, you gave some sort of a, of a, you know, a conflict, almost like a conflict. And, and people were just sort of like, yeah, this, this really is a lot easier than it used to be. And, so and I, but I love the email thing is great. Yeah, too. I think you're, thanks for the reminder. So a couple different things there, right? First of all, um, you can't do this one and done. It's become part of everything we do. Um, every board meeting, um, is, is critical Two. This idea that all you're doing is asking for money is false. As board members, our role is, and I said it a couple of times, ambassador and champion. And so sometimes, and, and again, I want to go back to this definition of culture of, def, of philanthropy. Engagement grows resources. Resources very broadly defined. So if someone in our case can talk to a member congregation and help us uh, continue to secure their membership, that is huge for us. That's the same as a donation. Um, if they can get more folks to come to our programs, our camps, our annual meetings, again, that grows our resources. So helping folks see their role as champion and not just um, money bags or an ATM machine, as, as you have pointed out in some of your blog posts, is really critical. And so 
more broadly defining what it means to grow resources gives board members much more satisfaction in that role as steward or solicitor. Um, I love that. And I also, you know, you're, you're, you're right about also reframing what philanthropy is about. I'm, you know, philanthropy, its Greek origin means love of humankind. And boy, there's nothing icky about that, right? It's so fascinating to me. So we're talking with Daryl Messinger, who is the chair of the North American Board of Trustees of the Union for Reformed Judaism. She has decades of experience in a wide variety of roles a wide variety of leadership roles throughout the reform movement and has a uh, rich background in both communications, marketing, and investment management. She lives in Palo Alto um, and has three grown children. Um, So I want to shift gears for the the next piece of this and talk about – you know, people who read my blogs are probably um, a little tired of me talking about thriving nonprofits as twin engine jets and the CEO and the board chair in the cockpit. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk a little bit about your cockpit. So, this, you know, the CEO of a nonprofit has power, particularly large organizations, right? I'm always fascinated when the CEO is somebody different. It's a rabbi, right? He's the leader of a movement, not just an organization. And then we have Daryl Messinger, who, you know, you do have a bobblehead of Rosie the Riveter on your desk for a reason, right? You are not a shrinking violet. Rick is not a shrinking violet. Um, And I think that there's, it's worth spending a few minutes talking about sort of these two, how did you operate in the, in the cockpit? Um, how did you build that partnership? What worked? Is there anything that you wish you had done differently? So let me first say who Rick is. Rick is Rabbi Rick Jacobs, and he is the president and CEO of, uh, the union for reform Judaism. He is our visionary. He is our external, uh, spokesperson he he is the individual we look to to provide uh, strategic direction and to really um, be there when the social justice issues of our day when are are brought to the forefront when there are tough conversations that need to happen about some of the real significant um, challenges to being a religious movement today are are voiced. So I I, I think that's uh, you know I uh, I refer him to as Rick because he's my friend Rick who's a Yankee fan like I am. Um, but the the thing that's really intriguing to me and I see it we just we just hired an executive director at our temple also and. You know, the challenge of working, with, and I certainly saw it with the professional staff at the URJ, is, is he's not just the CEO, right? He's a spiritual leader for the reform movement. Um, and, and that's like, that's, first of all, we, we both know how much that carries, what that's, and what that means to professional staff, what that means to a governing body is that this isn't just, this isn't a guy, you know, I'm not just, not the CEO of a nonprofit organization that serves hot meals. God love, God's lovely delivers a fantastic organization 
organization. But this is deeper. This is a this is a spiritual issue. And so, how do you partner when he's also kind of your spiritual leader, and that the right. staff and the but, oversight but, committee see that and, too? And, and here, I want to be careful because this is not a a congregation. It's not, it's not a temple or a church. Um, but right. this is a this is an organization that has a larger uh, religious mission. It's there to help individuals as well as congregations to uh, create vibrant communities of like-minded individuals to in service to making the world a better place. Right. It's it, it's in service to um, helping to create a more whole, compassionate, just world. Um, we believe that in our kishkis, in our deep, deep down, right? And um, Rabbi Rick Jacobs leads that. My job is to make sure that the organization is fully behind him, um, that the board supports him. And we do this in partnership, as you say, as as co-pilots, but also, you know, there's always a pilot and then there's the co-pilot and my role is as co-pilot my role is not the the managing partner my role is different and as you say um i'm i'm not a shrinking violet and i have a perspective having built organizations and 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 looked at a lot of others um and invested in others and rick will say very honestly, that he was—he did not go to rabbinical school in order to manage a budget and and a large staff. Um, he does them those things well, but that's not his first love, nor should it be. And so, I've had to really encourage building out his management team to help him free up his time to be more of an external um, spokesperson and leader and um, to really lead instead of be the day-to-day manager. This isn't the case in many other not-for-profits. You often don't have that luxury, but it's also important for the chair to be that, um, we like to say, sacred partner, that this is a relationship that is built on trust and ability to um, critique constructively when necessary. And that's in both directions. Sometimes I um, have, I see things and I jump in and, you know, I am (laughs) sure that it is not, there are not a few people at the URJ that probably are rolling their eyes and saying, there she goes again when I do those things. And can you please get her out of the left-hand lane or the oncoming traffic of my job. I'm I'm pretty aware when I do those things, but I'm also someone who really demands that the organization takes time to evaluate and measure how they're doing and make change as hard as that can be. Well, I just, I think, um, I, I'm sure you're right. And I know that you have been known to travel outside your lane. It's, and so I, it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because there are some board chairs that, that, that never get their car out of the garage. Right. And, um, and you're a driver and, 
what I have experienced is that, that some people would say, you know, you're using the terminology sort of over in the left-hand lane. Some people might say, so, so Daryl, are you a micromanager? Right. Are you a micromanaging board chair? I try not to be. And yet I, I do fall back on some strengths. One is I'm a good copy editor. Um, <laughs> oh. And I, I can do that very quickly. And so sometimes folks are just sort of, what is, what is she doing? But I'm really hopefully trying to uh, elevate a message or make sure we're communicating what we need to communicate. Similarly, I spent, you know, the first half of my career analyzing um, income and balance sheets. And so I can tear something apart pretty quickly and ask questions that aren't always on the mark, but get folks thinking and worrying that I'm doing their jobs. So I'm pretty honest. And so, so I, I may be too hard on myself in that way. And I, but I don't want to encourage folks to do that, but you, everyone needs to bring, I bring my whole person to this. Um, yes. and I've gotten so that I'm hoping, and I think this is true. Folks tell me to back off if I'm in the, the wrong lane, right? but they know it's from a place of appreciation that I'm and, and, and the greater good. But I think it's vitally important. And I back way off if I see folks alongside me driving. And once my confidence is, is, you know, when I have confidence that they, and we don't have to agree, by the way, when I have confidence that they see their role and responsibilities in in a manner that will move that organization forward. I step back. The other piece of this is I try very, very hard to give feedback privately and to to Rick, right? My response, I do not supervise staff members. I am right. I am not in the position of managing other folks. So if I see something or hear something that I'm not in agreement with, I I need to raise that with my co-pilot, yep. the president, and not with the individual, um, unless I'm asked to. Um, Correct. And one of the things we've been able to do is we have been able to bring executive vice president in to really do day-to-day management. And so I have another member of... Uh, the team that I'm also interacting with in, in a similar way as I do with Rick. The, um, you know, I, I want to point out, and I have some experience in working with you and with Rabbi Jacobs, and, you know, there probably are some that would bristle at your level of engagement, um, in, you know, and maybe even some people who are listening. But there's two things here. One is um, <sighs> when somebody's good and right, it's a little hard to bristle. So there's one piece, right? Is like if you're if the if the suggestion or the engagement is actually going to make the work better, you can't just sit and say, "Well, you know, Daryl should get out of my lane." Actually, being in my lane actually is helping me do my job more effectively. So thank you, Daryl. Right. So there's that, um, and also you're probably one of the you know in the world of ambassadors and champions for the URJ. Um, they they probably don't 
become much better than Daryl Messinger. And so you're also out there uh, sort of tirelessly um, sort of building the strength of the board and the oversight committee to raise dough and bring resources in and and you do it yourself. So, you know, it's sort of this notion that you might be in, in a different, in, in the wrong lane. It's so tempered by um, the value that you add. And I think that that's, I, I just happen to know that, but I just think that that's, that's a piece of it. And I also feel like you, um, right. I, I have seen you back off as, you know, if somebody makes, if somebody makes an argument that you, you, something you disagree with, but they've made a really reasoned argument that comes from their position as a member of professional staff. Um, you actually respect that. Thank you. I, I also think there's another piece to this and I, I'm being pretty open here. I'm not a, I might be a micromanager at times. I also love to just generate lots of ideas. And if I had a management team that was not as mature and seasoned as it is at the URJ, they could be going off in a million different directions. And that would be terribly defocusing and inappropriate. I'm very careful about generating too many ideas and not making sure that whoever I'm speaking to um, is capable of understanding that these are just ideas. They're not demands. They're not requests. They're not things that you have to follow up on every item. Right. And it is important that the listener is, uh, has a certain degree of maturity to recognize that because the power imbalance, um, is clear. Um, you know, I had that, I had board members who would make recommendations about new events we should do in cities all around the country to my special events director, but he was mature enough to say, not to say that's a crazy idea, but rather I really appreciate, I hear your idea. I appreciate your thinking about those things. You know, let me think about it and I'll talk with, you know, Joan and we'll so get back to you. I think so, and then but, the, follow, you know, the other piece that I'm still learning, and I don't know whether I'm going to be done learning <laughs> before my term is done, is delegating. I, you know, this idea of shared leadership with the president and the chair is, is just half of the, is one side of the coin. I also share leadership with my, certainly my oversight committee members and many, many of my board members. And when I don't push lead, when I don't give opportunities for leadership and, and, and allow for folks to have their voices heard, you know, it just slows everything down. So Joan, help me. What's the expression? I can go faster doing something by myself but I'll go further doing it with others. And that's a lesson I continue to learn and appreciate every day. And I, I I probably didn't say it quite right, but, but that idea that you can get further. And these days we say we can get further faster um, when we all are helping to move the vision forward. Yeah, I, you know, and we're, uh, we're just about out of time. And I, I totally agree with that. And I, I also believe that if, if um, fully invested board chairs like yourself, who are in the sort of Rosie the Riveter category, see that, see their 
their rosiness as being about building that are sort of that, you know, that village of ambassadors. And that's where the, that's where the real power is. And that's where the real impact can be. Then it can be the sort of the, the best way to capitalize on a, you know, on a board chair who can, who can drive fast. Um, the last question I have, and I, 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 um, is, um, when we don't have a ton of time here, but um, there are some big shoes um, at the bottom of your uh, at the bottom of your feet. Um, uh, what do you think is going to be the key to sort of the successful passing of the baton to what I what I believe is going to be another woman who will take the helm? Well, I'm not in a position to say. Um, we have a special nominating committee who will be uh, bringing forward a, a candidate um, later in June. And um, what I'm clear about are two things. One is whoever is the next chair doesn't have to do this job in the same fashion or in the same mode as I do. They do need to figure out what elevates their talents and what what they're passionate about and bring that forward and move that forward. Um, and I believe that um, the next chair will absolutely have that ability and understands that this isn't only, you, you don't have to only do this one way, the Daryl way. So that's so there's something really important here that I and I think it's probably worth mentioning as we sort of wrap up here is okay so we have you know so we ha- you've just listened to a woman who has thrown herself in full bore into being the board chair of a large organization um and you think to yourself oh my goodness like who's who's actually going to raise their hand to do this but the truth of the matter is that what you also heard happening during this session i just want to make sure you didn't actually miss it is that daryl built something that was that she has built an oversight committee that has skills and leadership abilities uh, you know <laughs> far beyond those of mortal men now um right is, is that the, that the oversight committee now is filled with a group of people who are ambassadors, champions, and in their own right and leaders. I, yeah. And so, so you didn't leave, you're not leaving a void in leadership. And I think that's something for board chairs to really think about is how do I strengthen the capacity of this board so that all of them see themselves as leaders so that there is never really a void I, of leadership. That's absolutely the case. Every chair's first and foremost responsibility is to find their successor. Um, And I believe that there are several folks that could very ably succeed in, in this role. And the other job of the chair is to be a wonderful, immediate past chair. And that means that you withdraw. There's a, uh, Jewish concept of simsum, of withdrawing, of becoming less present, but being available and allowing others to fill the space. And that's the job of the immediate past chair. Is to, How good and, do you think um, you're going to be at that? I, you know, my, 
predecessor, everybody's worried that he couldn't do that. And he modeled that behavior. And he has been an enormous um, help to me. Um, And I hope that I can do that as well for the the next person in in these shoes. Um, There is a culture in this organization of the past chairs having only one response, and that is, yes, whatever you want to the current chair. And let me tell you, I've seen other organizations where that's not the case, and it's really tough. It's really tough. So um, chair emerita, you know, for those of you who will will be chair emerita um, in the future, take note, please. Your job is to really step back, be the, be the, the elder states person, be the um, wise backroom counsel. But, you, you know, when asked, your response is, yes, whatever you need or want. So, um, uh, so we ha- we are out of time, but I think I I might need to have you come back in a year and to so, so we could do this again and you, we could find out how you how you like that role as opposed to the one being behind doesn't the wheel. Doesn't matter uh, as somebody who uh, it doesn't right? matter whether doesn't you like matter. it, right? Too bad. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> Tough nuggies, as my um, kids would have said. That- <laughs> There you go. Well, we have had um, a good, long conversation with Daryl Messinger, who's the chair of the North American Board of the Union for Reform Judaism. And we have talked about building a culture of philanthropy. We've talked about succession planning, and we've also talked about the the pilot-co-pilot relationship. And I just wanted to say thank you very much for all your insights and and really for modeling modeling leadership at the URJ in a way that that certainly the URJ is – is so much the better for. So thanks very much. Thanks, Joan. It's been great to have the opportunity to work with you and to speak to you, to you today. Excellent. So um, that's it for today. Um, I hope you took some notes. There's a lot in this. I mean, yes, it was a longer podcast than usual, but there's a lot in it. And I wanted you to really sort of breathe through uh, listening with someone, uh, listening to someone who has taken the role of board chair so very, very seriously. Um, And um, so that's it for uh, for today. Uh, Just quickly, um, as you know, you will find free resources at my blog at joangary.com. That's with two R's. Um, and this podcast, along with the other close to 100 of them, are all available on iTunes. There's usually a topic that will be of interest. And um, if you know someone who is a board or staff leader of a small nonprofit, they might want to, you might want to point them over to the nonprofit leadership, nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Uh, we only open registration a couple of times a year, but you can learn about it and jump on the wait list. And um, I think that's all I got for you today. So um, I hope you found this helpful. And as always, thanks for, thanks for what you do. Take care. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at joangary.com, reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook 
at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary. 